Welcome to CityGraceNY.com. Thank you for listening to this message recorded live at City Grace Church. Good morning, everybody. My name is Evan. We're reading the passage for today. This is uh, Mark chapter 2, starting at verse 18. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Some people came and asked Jesus, How is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? Jesus answered, How can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot, so long as they have him with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and on that day they will fast. No one sews a patch of untrunk cloth on an old garment. Otherwise, the new piece will be pulled away from the old, making the tear worse. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they will pour new wine into new wineskins. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? He answered, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar, the high priest, He entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Another time, Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Praise Praise to you, God. Would you uh, join me in prayer this morning? Father God, we thank you for for your word, um, your word which both convicts us and challenges us, but also comforts us. We pray, God, that um, your word, particularly through Jesus, would be spoken this morning and that um, your spirit would really work in our hearts as we listen to what you have to say to us this morning. I pray, God, that you would um, use me and use my words, that your word may be spoken to your people this morning. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So as many of you know, we are continuing our series on the Gospel of Mark, and we're looking at the Gospel of Mark because we want to look at the life of Jesus but particularly how when Jesus calls people to follow him, he puts people on a mission. That anyone who follows Jesus is automatically put on a mission. Their life is radically altered, not just as an add-on to their life, but rather the entire direction of their life is completely altered. And we see that in the first part of our passage this morning where Jesus talks about new wine going into new wineskins. Right? And his main point there is that bringing the kingdom of God, the message that Jesus brings, cannot be integrated with the existing religious traditions at the time. 
So the kingdom of God brings completely new ways, new traditions, and a new life. Now this morning we're going to be focusing on the passage, particularly about the Sabbath, because in this passage on the Sabbath, we see the Pharisees accusing Jesus of basically doing something too new, and it offends them. And they accuse Jesus and his disciples of doing something that's illegal or unlawful. So this passage on Sabbath, we have to understand, actually only makes sense when we recognize that Jesus himself, and this surprises some people, but Jesus was Jewish. Yes, obviously, with Jesus, he started Christianity. But wait a second. Jesus grew up in a Jewish family, in the Jewish culture, and was himself a Jew. And only when we reconcile that and understand that can we understand this passage about Sabbath. Jesus was not a American, middle-aged, grown up in America, and for some reason that puzzles people because we tend to think of making Jesus look like us and not really seeing Jesus for who he really is. And in the scriptures, it's very clear Jesus was Jewish, growing up in Jewish culture, following Jewish laws, which completely makes sense in our passage this morning because Jesus' disciples are plucking grain on the Sabbath which, according to the Pharisees, is unlawful. Now, uh, my family and I, we live in an apartment complex where there's actually a number of Orthodox Jewish people. And moving in last year, we've met a lot of our neighbors, and some of our neighbors are Orthodox Jews. So as we've gotten to know a, a number of our neighbors, there's been this one neighbor that's been really, really kind to us. And as soon as we moved in, she started putting groceries on our doorknob basically the first couple days that we moved in, so much so that by the end of the week, our refrigerator was full of her groceries. <laughs> so she's been like super kind, super helpful. She's, she's you know, met our, our children, met our dog, um, with our newborn baby Eden. She's already given us new shoes for the baby. So she's been super kind. And so a couple of months ago, um, as an observant Jew herself, um, she asked for some help. So she, and she needed help on the Sabbath, and she knew, perhaps somewhat obviously, that me being a, a Chinese person, she knew that I was not an observant Jew. And so on the Sabbath, she kind of knocked on, our, knocked on my door, and, you know, she asked, like, you know, could you help me for, for a second? I said, you know, sure. I, I knew it was, it was Sabbath, Friday evening to, to Saturday evening. And so she brought me into her apartment. Um, she, you know, she had Eli come in. She had uh, my dog, Jiram, come in. And so we were just talking and chatting. And she needed help because, as an observant Jew, she wasn't able to do work. And so the only thing that she needed help was to unplug her appliance. So I took the plug out, and then we just spent, you know, the next 15 minutes just talking and, and chatting. But that's what she needed help with because, as an Orthodox observant Jew herself, it was unlawful for her to unplug her appliance. That is what her interpretation of the Torah is today in 2019, right? Which raises the question for us as well this morning. The question is, 
what laws do we follow? There's, there's a whole host of laws in the Old Testament. There's thousands of laws in the New Testament. Which ones do we follow? Jesus' disciples were, were following Jesus' instructions, and according to the Pharisees, were doing something unlawful, illegal. And not working on the Sabbath, right, has been one of the most prominent and enduring characteristics of the Jewish people, right? So that even now, today, 2019, there are thousands upon thousands of Jews still observing Sabbath, still not able to do uh, certain work as, as outlined in, in, things, in the things like the Torah and the Talmud. So the, the question again this morning is, which laws do we follow? And as the Pharisees question Jesus in verse 24, right, they are asking, why are they, right, that is, Jesus' disciples, doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? That's their accusation. And if you're all at all familiar with the Bible, or perhaps have Jewish friends or neighbors yourself, when we think of Sabbath, right, we automatically think of a 24-hour period where you do no work. That's what Sabbath is, right? Sabbath is a restriction. It's a, a law, a set period of time where if you're observing Sabbath, you're not supposed to do any type of work. The question is, what type of work is lawful? What's considered work? What's not considered work? This, it's not black and white. It's not so clear. But when we look at the entire Bible, we see and want to see Sabbath in its proper context. And when we see Sabbath in its proper context, we actually see that there's you, what you might say two sides of the Sabbath. So on the one hand, we might automatically think, okay, Sabbath is not working for 24 hours. But when we look at Scripture, we see there's another side of the Sabbath. And that other side has to do with God himself. So firstly, we see ever since the beginning of creation, God's side of the Sabbath, right? Not, not just the human side where we're not supposed to work, we're supposed to rest in God, but God's side of the Sabbath. So when we look at the creation account and then eventually God reiterates that in Exodus chapter 20, we see what Sabbath is about for God. So Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11, I'll read quickly. God says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is in, within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy, right? So God is talking about one side of the Sabbath, right, which is not working, right? But what's, what's the ground or the foundation of God's people not working on the seventh day, right? The latter part, which says, for in six days the Lord made heaven and earth to see and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. So, God resting, according to scriptures, right, is not because he's tired, right? He's not exhausted from the day, and therefore he's got to take a nap on the couch. 
right? God, as the all-powerful God, he rested because when he looked at everything that he created, he said, it is very good, right? Everything that he created was perfect, right? Everything that he created was perfectly provided for. So in order for earth to be inhabited, right, he created the sun and the moon, right? In order for the animals to live, he created the ground. In order for the birds to fly, he created the air. In order for the fish to see, to swim, he created the sea, right? Everything was perfect. And namely, at in the sixth day, creating human beings, right, we see that God's Sabbath, right, was his stamp of approval on the world that he would completely provide and meet the needs of all that he created, particularly human beings. So God's side of the Sabbath, right, is God's commitment to meet the needs of all that he created. Now, Sabbath, right, on the other hand, right, is also our sign, our statement of faith in God that he will do what he promised to do, right? So, in the scriptures, right, we see that keeping the Sabbath, right, was really important for the Israelite people. Why? Because it was a statement of their faith in God, trusting God, that even though they did not work on the seventh day, that God would still provide everything that they need as his people. Right? That's faith. That's an act of faith. To not work on the Sabbath, right? To not continue to do what you've continued to do for the entire week. Because, right, all that work in the first six days, right, is about providing for our needs. If you need to eat, you need to collect food. You need to hunt food. You need to gather food. But if you're not working on that last day, right, it's a matter of faith. Because you would think that if your needs are going to be met, you're going to need to be working all the time. But in Mark chapter 2, verse 27, right, Jesus says, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Right? Which is to say that, yes, God instituted the Sabbath for his people, but only to the extent that it helps people and their needs get met by God. So, instead of just simply legalistically following the laws, right, Jesus brings a completely new paradigm, a new shift, a new way of understanding what is most important to God which is meeting the needs of his people. The problem, right, is that for all of us, as well as for the Israelites in the Old Testament, right, we have that tendency to believe that our needs are only going to be met if we continue to work, right, if we continue to provide for ourselves. So fairly recently, um, I had a friend who had lived in New York City for most of his life. And just a few months ago, he kind of abruptly had to leave New York City, him and his family. And uh, we had a conversation about it uh, shortly after. But he'd been living in New York City for, for most of his life. 
Um, he was an attorney. And he talked about the need to move away, and part of that had to do with just the difficulties of living in New York City. And as many of you live in New York City, it's a very difficult city to live in for, for various reasons. The, the high rent, right, the cost of uh, living is very high. Uh, the quality of life, some people would say, is, is not, not very high. Some people would say, you know, the public transportation system, right, is, is in shambles and, and needs to get fixed. But one thing that he really uh, pointed out and, and highlighted to, to me in, in talking about moving away to New York City was uh, the culture of work and how hard that was for him and for his family. And he basically said this. He said that, you know, living in New York City, everyone basically knows that you come here to sell your soul to the company you work for. Right? That people come to New York City, right, to, to work really, really hard, to make a lot of money, to move up the ranks as, as fast as possible. And so uh, it creates a culture, right, not just in individuals, but, but in basically everybody, to highly value work, to have a mutual understanding that work is the highest priority. And so working 80, 80 hours a week is really not uncommon for many New Yorkers. And for my friends, it drove him away. It, it just was not sustainable for him. So in Exodus chapter 5, right, when the Israelite people are enslaved to Pharaoh, right, Pharaoh talks about this, this enslavement to work. Right? In Exodus chapter 5, in verse 9, he says, Let heavier work be laid on them. Then they will labor at it and pay no attention to deceptive words. Right? Pharaoh is, is intent on making sure the Israelites are working their, their butts off. Right? Verse 14, why did you not finish the required quantity of bricks yesterday and today as you did before? Right? In other words, you worked really, really hard for this period of time, so why aren't you working as hard as you used to? Verses 17 to 19, right? Pharaoh says, you are lazy. Lazy. That is why you say, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Now, go now and work, for no straw will be given to you, but you shall still deliver the same number of bricks. Right? So what we see in Exodus, right, is Pharaoh is a taskmaster. Right? Pharaoh is, is telling the Israelites, you're not working hard enough. You need to work harder. Right? And we hear, right, as New Yorkers, echoes of what Pharaoh is saying. Right? So one of the most insulting things as a New Yorker someone can tell you is, you're lazy. You're not working hard enough. Right? You are not being productive enough. The things you're doing, highly inefficient. So work harder, be more efficient, be more productive, right? Echoes of slavery. Echoes of Pharaoh's burden on God's people, right? And the gospel is that God says to that system of slavery, let my people go. Let them go. Walter Brueggemann is an Old Testament scholar and he talks about 
God's people being let go from this system of slavery. He says this, that they are invited to awareness that life does not consist in frantic production and consumption that reduces everyone to threat and competitor. And as the work stoppage permits, a waning of anxiety. So that energy is redeployed to the neighborhood. The odd insistence of the God of Sinai is to counter anxious productivity with committed neighborliness. Right? So Sabbath, right, is an interruption to the system of slavery. So the system of slavery, right, that we live and breathe of, am I working hard enough? Am I producing enough? Am I working enough hours? Gets interrupted with no productivity, no efficiency, no work done. And God is still going to provide for your needs. Right? And secondarily, right, when our anxiety decreases in understanding God's commitment to us, right, that energy gets redeployed to the neighborhood, right? Meaning that suddenly, knowing that God is committed to meeting our needs, right, frees us up to meet the needs of other people, our neighbors. Right? The people who are also in need. Because right, our natural tendency right, is to simply be preoccupied with our own needs. Right? I've got bills to pay. I've got work to do. I've got things to take care of. I've got things around the house I've got to do. And when we become so preoccupied with our own priorities and our own needs, right, we are in a sense, disabled and prevented from serving and loving the people that God is calling us to serve and love. So, right, if you're, if you're a teacher, right, and there's a, there's, there's a burden of making sure a certain number of people in your class have to pass a certain grade, right, that's, that's, a, that's a heavy burden, and, and so that heavy burden, right, can prevent you as a teacher to miss out on the student who's crumbling under the pressure of having to pass a test, right? Or if you're, if you're at work, right, and you're trying to complete a project by a certain deadline, and you're working really hard on, on making sure this project is completed, Right? Then you can become so hyper-focused that you miss out on your coworker right, who's going through an incredibly tough time, crumbling under the pressure of what's going on in their family. Right? So there's, there's a narrowing of our energy and our time and our focus when we are completely worried about our own needs and whether or not our own needs and desires are going to get met. So when we are not living out the truth of the gospel, right? We need to work harder. We need to strive longer. We need to be more efficient. We need to be more productive, right? But remembering God's side of the Sabbath, 
right? God's statement to his people that no matter where they are, no matter what day of the week it is, God is at work. God is committed to meeting the needs of his people even on the Sabbath, which is why when Jesus shows up, Jesus is Lord, but Lord even of the Sabbath, even on the day that everyone else is not supposed to be working, is the day that God continues to work. The day that Jesus is completely committed to meeting the needs of his people, no matter what place or at what time, right? Which is why Jesus points out, and in, in arguing for this point, right, he cites uh, a story in the Old Testament where David has to eat the bread of the presence, right, which basically is, is the bread that only the priests are supposed to eat. But because of him fleeing from Saul at the time, because of the, the, the circumstances at the time, David was allowed to eat the bread of presence. Right? So what Jesus is pointing out, right, is that fundamentally what is most important to God is making sure the needs of his people are met by God himself. So Sabbath, right, made for man, made for human beings to, to be rejuvenated and restored is a, great, is a great idea and something that we can continue to practice today, but only to the extent, only to the extent that we continue to meet the needs of others, of the people around us, right? Because what's most important to God, right, is not following rules and regulations, but loving God and loving our neighbor. And nothing will get in the way. And God wants to make sure, right, that nothing gets in our way of loving God and loving neighbor. So Sabbath is a reminder that if we are in Jesus, right, we can rest. We can rest. That if he is completely committed to meeting our needs, right, then even in the most dire of circumstances, we can still see God working for us. So, right, the knowing that God is committed to meeting our needs, right, means that if we just imagine our lives, right, imagine for a second everything that you own, right? Imagine everything that you, you possess. Imagine all of the most important relationships in your life, right? Imagine where you live, right? All of those, all of what makes your life your life. The question is, when you look at your life, what God has given you right now, right? The question is, do you look at your life and say, it is very good, because that is God's statement in the Sabbath, that what God gives you right now, here in the present, is very good. That even in the midst of thinking, right, that looking at someone else's life, looking at someone else's possessions, looking at where someone else is in life, right, we can very easily say, right, I wish I had that. I wish I was in that place. I wish I was in that person's position. I just wish I had the liberty to go there. 
right? All of that, right, is in a sense telling God, you're not meeting my needs, so therefore I have to take this. I have to control this. I need to work harder to get this, right? But remembering God's side of the Sabbath tells God's people that what God has provided is completely enough. That even in the midst of, of, us, of us feeling that what God has given us and the circumstances that we're in, that we need to grab and work on the seventh day and be more efficient and be more productive, right? God's statement to all of creation, it is very good. In us observing Sabbath and not working today, Right? We tell God, what you have given us is very good. Therefore, therefore, I don't need to work here or there. I can rest in you and know that whatever I have now is what you've given me. So, right, to remind us of this truth, right, many people very practically today do continue to observe the Sabbath in the sense of parsing out 24 hours of their week, and not doing any type of work, right? And in that, resting and delighting in what God has given. So Pastor Pete Cazero, an emotionally healthy leader, right, says this about Sabbath, right? He says, I can tell you that Sabbath is, without a doubt, the most important day of the week for my leadership. It is also the one day of the week I most believe and live out a fundamental truth of the gospel. How? I do nothing productive, and yet I am utterly loved. Right? So he's saying, right, that the Sabbath, right, it's a, it's a statement to God. The statement is, I am doing nothing productive. I'm not doing anything, and yet you still love me. Like, what a, what a radical thought. What a radical thought for any human beings. What a radical thought for, for New Yorkers to not do any work and still be utterly loved. Because we forget this, right, time and time again. But the gospel says that God's love, right, is not based on our work for him, how much we can do for God, how big we can build a church, how many ministries we can start. Right? But it's simply based on what Jesus has done for us. And what Jesus says to us is that he is Lord. He is Lord even, even of the Sabbath. So ultimately, right, ultimately, God's people today, right, we keep the Sabbath essentially by trusting God and putting our faith in God that no matter what our circumstances are, that our needs are being met by him, right? Because any human being, right, not just God's people, but all human beings, right, we go through an incredible amount of suffering, right, an incredible amount of pain, an incredible amount of loss, right? And all of those circumstances cause us to think, right, does God still love me? Does God still care? Is God in this? And Jesus says, Jesus is Lord, even of the Sabbath. That no matter what day of the week it is, that no matter where you are in life, 
God is completely committed to the needs of his people, and we see that through Jesus Christ himself. So only when we can understand and live out the gospel, right, can we then stop being preoccupied with simply meeting our own needs, but meeting the needs of other people, right? Which is why Jesus says the greatest commandments are loving God and loving neighbor. So that when we love God, right, when we keep the Sabbath, when we trust in Jesus for what he provides for us, then we can love neighbor, right? Which is why Jesus puts those two greatest commandments together, right? Because loving God, keeping the Sabbath, having faith in Jesus frees us up to love our neighbor. That if we are not loving God, if we're preoccupied with our lives, if we're putting our needs before the needs of others, then there's no way we can love others. There's no way we can set ourselves aside for our spouses, for our friends, for the people we don't know. The gospel has to first be spoken to us before we give the gospel to anyone else, right? And the gospel this morning is that Jesus is Lord. He is Lord even of the Sabbath. He is completely committed to meeting our needs no matter what day of the week it is and no matter what situation we're in. Let's pray. And this prayer is written by that same Old Testament professor that I cited earlier, Walter Brueggemann. And so we pray this together. Father God, from the outset, you called the world very good. And unlike you, we find the world a, a dangerous, demanding place for our lives. We, we have fears of scarcity and running out. We are visited by fears of falling behind and not measuring up. We are occupied with thoughts of war and danger and terror. We are frantic to protect our little places of well-being. We are weary of achieving and accomplishing. We are exhausted with neighbors who seem to us like competitors and threats. In our anxiety, we find the world at best bearable, but less than very good. You, creator of heaven and earth, you are so unlike us. You do the orderly, proper business of creation, of seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night. You sustain the regularity of seasons, of sun and moon and stars and wind, and then you pause in confidence, sure that the world will hold, unworried about scarcity, certain about flourishing, unbothered by the threat of chaos. We imagine you peaceable, cherishing your good world at leisure, not restless, anxious, or worried. We, God, are so unlike you in our anxiety and fatigue so, God, we resolve nevertheless in your presence to be more like you, to imitate you, to fall back into quiet confidence and serenity. And like you, may we trust that your world will hold. And like you, may we enjoy the good order of your creation. May we be at rest and be unanxious. We are so unlike you, and we thank you, God, that you are so unlike us. And now in this moment, God, may we replicate your restfulness. 
finding ourselves able to bask in your reliable goodness, your unanxious, unafraid, unbothered, unworried. You are defined, God, by your goodness and your commitment to us. We thank you for that word. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.